Would you please stand? Can you hear me okay? The Lord be with you. And with thy spirit. Let us pray. O Lord Jesus, who as a child didst learn and grow in wisdom, grant us so to learn thy holy word, that we may walk in thy ways and daily grow more like unto thee, who livest and reignest with the Father and the Holy Ghost, one God, world without end. Amen. Thank you. So before I get started, uh, I, I did want to uh, thank Father Mark for inviting me to, to, to speak here tonight and to, to thank also those who organized this Lenten series, those who brought food. And uh, I'd also like to thank uh, actually all of you for your, your Christian hospitality. Uh, you who are my, my, my friends, my family, and, uh, and of course, always, as always, uh, fellow co-workers in the vineyard of our Lord. Thank you. Now, the, the topic of this Lenten teaching series, uh, as Father Mark said, is the kingdom of God is like. Uh, which is a look at the parables used by Christ to describe the truth of his heavenly kingdom. Uh, and I'll have to admit that I was pretty excited when, uh, when Father Mark uh, told me what the topic was for this series. Because uh, in my opinion, this, this subject of, of the kingdom of God is timely. It, it's appropriate and it's spiritually edifying for us to discuss these things. And especially during our great and rigorous Lent. As always... Uh, the rules of engagement for this talk will be simple. Uh, I will attempt to stay uh, focused and I'm going to use my notes to do that. So hopefully this structure will lend itself to our completing our objective on time. Uh, but if you have any comments or questions of any kind, uh, I welcome you to, uh, to offer them freely. You don't have to wait. Just go ahead and blurt them out. Uh, so to introduce this, uh, this discussion, I wanted to start by stating that the kingdom of God which Christ will rule is not of this world, but will come with power and glory at the end of time. The church, which in popular orthodox doctrine is called the kingdom of God on earth, has already mysteriously been given this experience. In the church, Christ is already acknowledged, glorified, and served as King and God. And His Holy Spirit has already been given to the world in the church with full authority and power, which makes it a divine reality and realization of God's presence among men through Jesus Christ our Lord. The kingdom of God, therefore, is celebrated and participated in the sacramental mysteries of the faith. It is witnessed in Scripture. It's witnessed in the councils. It's witnessed in the canons and the life and death of its saints. And it will become the universal and final cosmic reality for the whole of creation at the end of the ages 
when Christ will come again in glory to fill all things with Himself by the Holy Spirit, that God might be all and in all. As uh, Father Mark said earlier tonight, we're going to explore a few selected parables with the intent to learn more about this kingdom of God. And the, uh, the first parable that we're going to look at tonight is the parable of the wise and foolish virgins. This text is taken from the 25th chapter of Matthew's Gospel, verses 1-13. through 13, And they are as follows. The kingdom of heaven shall be likened to ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Now five of them were wise and five were foolish. Those who were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them. But the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. But while the bridegroom was delayed, they all slumbered and slept. And at midnight a cry was heard, Behold, the bridegroom is coming. Go out to meet him. Then all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, No, lest there should not be enough for us and you, but rather go to those who sell and buy for yourselves. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went with and went into the wedding with him, and the door was shut. Afterward, the other virgins came also saying, Lord, Lord, open unto us. But he answered and said, Assuredly, I say to you, I do not know you. Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. The kingdom of heaven is often described as a marriage between Christ and His church, right? That's our blessing, we know, when, when we come up. Um, the divine marriage, which is to be consummated at the end of the age, is when the bridegroom, which is Christ, returns to escort His bride, the church, into the eternal wedding banquet. However, this story, this parable, has an unusual perspective, wouldn't you say? I mean, the, at, at most weddings... The focus is on the bride and the groom. The parents and other beloved relatives of the couple are also acknowledged, and even some attention is given to the flower and the ring bearers, right? But no one really pays this much attention to those who are attending the wedding. In contrast, Jesus chooses to use a wedding scene for His parable, And these ten attendants are used to illustrate the need to be spiritually prepared for the kingdom of God. He doesn't even mention the bride. And only incidentally does he mention the bridegroom. His attention is focused on these ten young ladies who were invited to the marriage. Now, just to give you just a little bit of background... In antiquity, weddings were always held at night, and it was customary 
for the bridegroom to go uh, to the house of the bride and take her to the place where the wedding would be held. And as the couple walked through the streets, uh, they would be joined by guests at various places along the route. Our Lord's story of the ten maidens is, in essence, the the story of, of such a group waiting for the bridegroom. So as we begin to interpret this parable, when we begin to look for its meaning, I believe it's important to first remember that it was intended for those who live in the, uh, in the intervening time between our Lord's first and second coming. In other words, that includes, that includes us. So then if we, if we recognize ourselves somewhere in this story, then it becomes clear that it is intended to describe an element of watching, of waiting, of some common expectation that is vital and essential to our spiritual success. In other words, we as Orthodox Christians are also waiting. And similar to the wise virgins, we must be alert, vigilant, and prepared for the coming of the kingdom of God. It may seem a little politically incorrect in the story, uh, but the, the second characteristic of the story that I think we should recognize is that the parable is a story of division, uh, of, a, of a divided nature. Uh, the story clearly identifies that there are five wise virgins and five that were foolish. Some may be offended by this kind of name-calling. Uh, but you, you really can't argue with the fact that it definitely separates these young ladies into two groups, and I think that was the intent. Simply put, though, the foolish took lamps with no extra oil. That's why they're foolish. But the wise took flasks and they took oil with them. Although this group was united in expectation. It was uh, divided in the way in which they conducted their business and in the way they waited. This doesn't uh, represent really a division of good and evil. It, uh, Jesus just says that it is a division between wise and foolish. These two groups were equally sincere in their desire to participate in meeting with the bridegroom. The only difference is five of them felt that it would be wise to bring some extra oil. And this, this preparation, this preparation proved to be the most important part of the story. Because these five virgins were granted entrance into the wedding banquet. But then at... Uh, about the end of the, the tenth verse, we read the ominous phrase, and the door was shut. I thought, I, when, I, when I read that, it just it gives it kind of some finality to it. You know, the, the word, expre- it expresses kind of a, a harsh reality that the day of salvation is today. And I think we can back that up. Uh, St. Paul wrote in his second letter to the Corinthians, 
He writes, See now is the acceptable time. See now is the day of salvation. And this is why the bridegroom does not recognize the foolish virgins. Meaning that once the door of the kingdom is shut, they've lost their chance to be near him. However, in our text, the Lord does offer encouragement to the disciples and I think to you and I as well. He says, Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. So I would have to say, brothers and sisters, this is a wake-up call for us. To always be spiritually ready for the bridegroom. Be prepared. The, uh, the second and third parables uh, we'll discuss tonight are the, uh, of the, the hidden treasure and the pearl of great price, which are found in the 13th chapter of the gospel according to Matthew. These two parables are very, they're very similar in their meaning and in allegory. Uh, the first explains that the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and hid. And for joy over it, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Now I'd say that uh, this was a popular practice to... Uh, to hide a person's treasure in a, in a secret place. To bury them, to keep them safe and secure in, uh, in time of war or during periods of national calamity or uh, probably if they were getting a divorce. as a joke. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, frequently it would happen that someone else would, would find... Uh, where this treasure was hidden, and uh, they would make use of it as if it were their own. Um, it is about such a treasure trove that Christ is, uh, speaks of in his parable. So, in this story, a man who is out working the field, he's he's tilling this field, finds a treasure that's hidden in it, and he rejoices at the find, but hoping that he can make use of it. He keeps it a secret, and he carefully hides it again in the field so that no one else would find it. Um, and then the man goes, and he sells everything that he possesses and buys that field so he becomes the owner of the field and has a right to the treasure. Christ uses this example of the treasure as a metaphor for the kingdom that um, the gospel preaches about and which is supported by the grace of God abiding in the church. The kingdom is a, uh, a genuine treasure. In comparison with all other earthly goods, they're, in comparison, they're worthless. The, the kingdom is greater than gold, greater than silver, and more precious than the whole world. You see, a, a man can obtain the whole world. But without a place in the kingdom of God, in accordance with the gospel, he is nothing. But the kingdom is hidden and unknown to the person who only listens with his ears to the good tidings of Christ and to whose heart they are, are unable to reach. In order for us to perceive this 
great treasure for us to see the, the deeper reality of the kingdom, we must follow our hearts. That is the, the eye of our soul, otherwise known as the noose. To spiritually discern the true meaning of the treasure. Perhaps the man in the parable had passed by that place a hundred times, you know, for many years. That treasure may have lay there, um, no one suspecting that it was that close until he discovered it. And precisely, also, many who listen to the gospel, they, they listen for years and hear about the kingdom of God, but do not see the treasure in it. They don't see it until it penetrates their heart. Only when this truth touches a person's heart is it possible to spiritually understand the true meaning of the teachings of Christ. But when this occurs, uh, be ready, because everything else except for the soul loses its importance. And the realization concerning salvation through Jesus Christ is considered more important than just about everything in your life. The man from whom the parable speaks... What does he do when he, when he finds this treasure? He sells everything uh, that he possessed and all just to buy that field where the treasure was buried. Somehow he knew that the blessed eternal life was hidden in the treasure of the kingdom of God. It is only necessary to find the treasure in order to make use of it. But, you know, it, it just lends itself to the question... Uh, I don't know if you're if you're having that question. I I had to say I had this question: Where should we look for this treasure? Right? In which field? And the answer is, we find this treasure in many places. For example, in the field of honest prayer or reverent silence, in the ground of chastity and abstinence, in the field of sincere almsgiving. Friends, spare nothing in order to gain possession of such a field and you will find the treasure that's in there. But there is a field and I, I, would, I would be remiss if I didn't uh, make, a, make a little bit of a plea for the church. So there is a field particularly close and accessible for all of us which is our mother the church. What a great treasure is hidden in her sacred gatherings, such as the Office of Vespers and, uh, and this Lenten series right here. In this parish life is hidden the presence of Christ, the Lord Himself. And in Him are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, as well as the treasures of all other gifts, spiritual and divine. What a treasure there is in the reading of the Gospels. The same power which proceeded forth in Christ's word that cast out demons, healed infirmities, raised the dead and enlightened with the divine light. What a treasure there is in the mysteries and especially in the mystery of the body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. In it there is hidden eternal life and with its unimaginable goodness. And then the, the parable of the pearl continues this same theme. I'll, uh, I'll go ahead and read that. 
Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking beautiful pearls, who when he had found one pearl of great price, went and sold all that he had and bought it. In antiquity, pearls um, were valued much more than they are in our time. So Christ's contemporaries were uh, ready to pay a great deal for a good pearl. And therefore they understood perfectly well the words of Jesus that in order to acquire the kingdom of heaven, it's necessary to give up everything for the sake of acquiring that which Christ offered to them. But what does that mean to give up everything? Um, Are we to sell all of our possessions and give the money to the poor? Or is there another meaning? Uh, According to the church fathers, you know, I can't really answer that myself, but according to the church fathers, selling all of our possessions is how we give up every worldly thing so that we can embrace the kingdom. Uh, This uh, mysterious treasure within us. Uh, However, this is not so much about material things that we own. The possessions that we need to sell include lust, pride, envy, dishonesty, selfishness, egotism, worldly cares, anger, despondency, greed, laziness, gluttony, and the list goes on. All of these things that lead us to spiritual death and unhappiness, these are the things which we need to get rid of. Many of us are at a point uh, where we honestly don't want those things anymore. Uh, it, It is in this manner that we're able to reach the kingdom within. Unfortunately, these possessions, or as as the Orthodox call them passions, are deeply entrenched in all of us, especially as we grow older. Selling them is difficult, and many of us won't finish this uh, having reached the end of our life. But if we are on the journey, working with God through the modes of grace that He's given us, through, through prayer, through fasting, uh, through almsgiving, the church, the Eucharist, the, the scriptures and writings of the fathers, then we will be bestowed with a beautiful glimpse of this mysterious treasure as we draw closer to it. It is worth renouncing everything for the sake of, of obtaining that which Christ offers us in this pearl of his teaching and the life of blessedness that is in him. And so... To give just a rough conclusion, um, in my opinion, I think these parables are saying this. Don't be foolish. Search for treasure and truth and the truth of the gospel. And you all remember what Bishop Basil says about the truth of the gospel. The truth of the gospel is Jesus Christ. And then third, I think we need to repent. That is, sell all of our bad habits so that we can afford the price of eternal of the eternal kingdom. Now, I, I, you know, there's not many words in our society that make people recoil more than the word repent, uh, especially those who are not Christians. 
For some, repentance may conjure up images of a man with a bullhorn, uh, probably would be uh, down on uh, Bourbon Street, thank you, <laughs> yelling at people, Bible thumpers, and the occasional warning of uh, impending doom for the world, right? Some people believe that to repent is to say, uh, say the thing to themselves and ask Jesus into their heart. Say a prayer and ask Jesus into their heart. And then when you are saved, uh, once saved, you are always saved. But is that really what it means to repent? The, the forerunner of Christ, John the Baptist, preached repentance. And in the Gospel of Matthew, uh, where we've taken all of these parables, Christ's first sermon was, Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. So it seems Christ has tied repentance to the kingdom. And in fact, repentance is the key to the kingdom. The word repent comes from the Greek word metanoa, which essentially means to turn around, to do an about face. In the life of the Orthodox Christian, this is not a one-time event. The sacrament of confession is a new baptism. We all agree with that. And there are, uh, just, just for uh, description's sake, there are two kinds of confession in the Orthodox Church. There is private and sacramental. Whereas our Roman Catholic brethren tend to hold to sacramental confessions and our Protestant brethren to confession by prayer only, the Orthodox Church, uh, they follow more of the apostolic way by avoiding both extremes. Uh, it, it holds that divine forgiveness may be received either by private prayer or by sacrament. But in the case of grave sin, confession by private prayer would be supplemented by a sacramental confession. And um, if any of that was confusing, or if uh, you're not sure what constitutes a great sin, then you should consult your priest. <laughs> but please note, uh, in the Orthodox Church, sacramental confession before a priest is recommended practice at least once a year. This is how, brothers and sisters, this is how we search for the hidden treasure. This is how we find the pearl of great price. And this is how we live in such a way that pursuing the kingdom with all we have, we will be found to have oil in our lamps when the bridegroom returns. Thank you. Yes, sir. Questions? Something in the parable about the treasure doesn't make sense. Okay. I'm a very logical person. You are that. You're an, you're an actuary. He's so. out in someone else's field and finds the treasure and he's going to claim it for himself. Yet he's going to buy the land and then when he buys the land, it's his. The Christian thing to do, if he knows who owns the land, he's, and he probably does, he would tell him about it, I found your treasure. That was the norm for the day, to bury your treasure. Sure. 
Well, I think... First, he, he, did, he stole the treasure, and then he's buying the land and put it there. <laughs> does it say that he found the treasure on that land, or he found a treasure and buried it on the land? No, That's what I'm trying to remember. As he was, he was, as he was working the field. As he was working the field. Yeah. 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 So, um... That's all right. No, no, no. That's a good question, Tom. The, um, we were the, overlooking human nature. <laughs> in that area, there, there was a lot of, a lot of uh, cultivating going on. And so uh, there, were land, there were landowners and there were people that worked the land. And uh, there, would, there would be people that would lease the land and things like that. Uh, I, I always in, envisioned that that's how the person found his way onto that land. Uh, the fact that he, he found it, <coughs> this treasure, uh, and that he wanted, to, um, he wanted to keep the treasure for himself and not tell the landowner when he purchased the land, uh, that does seem a little sneaky. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but I think it also speaks that, you know, we're supposed to go to extremes for our salvation, you know. So it's okay to cheat other people when you're... <laughs> I'm gone, folks. No, no. <laughs> that was a joke. That was, that was a joke. <laughs> Any other questions? Sharon had a comment. Well, no, I, I, Jesus is telling a parable here. He's, yes. not, he's not considering human nature in this at all. But that, that this was a treasure that... Perhaps it wasn't a, you know, one man's trash is another man's treasure. And had he even gone to the keeper with this knowledge of God, which is really what we're talking about, it would not have anything to him at all. But in order to have the treasure, he has to possess the land, which means he's got to do the work, which means you have to go to confession. You gotta sell, he's got to sell everything to sell gain. Everything. Sell everything to gain. Yep, yep. that's right. Which means you have to give it all up. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Any other questions? Good. We have time. Let's let's talk a little bit. I think one of the other details that I'm noticing there is the landowner would not have sold that land if he knew that the treasure was on it. So that, to me, indicates that the treasure is not the landowner's either. <coughs> the, the treasure oh. is not... The, the owner of the treasure is not known. We have two logical people here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, but at the time point. of buying the land, he, I don't think he would say a thing about finding treasure. <laughs> There's that other verse that's like, be as, as, as wise as uh, serpents <laughs> and innocent doves. <laughs> There's also caveat emptor. <clears throat> you know, you have to sell everything you know. <clears throat> yeah. Scott. The kingdom of heaven is taken by violence. Ooh. Yeah, that was great. Uh, taken by four, yeah, the, uh, taken by the... <coughs> by force. Yeah, scriptural. Yeah. But don't try to take pearls by force. Yeah. No. yeah. Is that referring to Jesus going into Hades and mm. taking the captives? Interesting thought. I mean, when you say the kingdom of heaven, I don't know that scripture. Yeah. Um, is that what it's talking about, or? I don't steal anybody else's oil. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I don't <coughs> Any other? Julie? In the first parable that you covered, mm-hmm. the oil or the lack thereof 
what what is that for us? So um, I think the oil shows that that they were they were prepared, and the others, although they had uh, the same desire to go to the to the wedding and to to uh, meet the bridegroom. Uh, they they were not prepared. So like, like I said, it's not really a good and evil thing. It's more saying that uh, you have to be prepared to to make it. And there is a there is a final judgment. That was the door being closed. And so what that means for us is that we have to be prepared also. Now is now is the time. Father, would it be a stretch to think that those prepared with the oil receive the light, whereas the other ones are left in darkness? Yeah, absolutely. There, th- that particular parable has a lot of, um, like maybe five different layers of, of symbology that you can that you can look at, and um, I just didn't think we have time, didn't have time for for going through all of it. You know, after getting filled with lentils. I have a a thought, Father. Um, Let's go back to last week's teaching. Because last week's teaching, one of the parables where Jesus said the kingdom of God is like is the parable of the sheep and the goats. And again, with what what Father started with, there's a separation, there's a division, just like in the first one that he spoke of tonight. There's always this sense of, of the judgment, of the discerning judgment, perfect judgment of Christ. Right? And there's a separation. Let's think about last week's to help understand this week's, perhaps in that very same question, what was the means by which in the sheep and the goats that people were allowed access to eternal joy? Right? What, 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 was, uh, what was that? Do you remember? Clothing, <clears throat> giving water. Yeah, which shows that they had been transformed com- from the inside out, right? And they become more like who? Our discipline, our labor, our work, our sober and vigilant spirituality that Father was talking about, the natural result of that oneness with Christ and our being sober and vigilant to stay within that oneness, the natural result is the blossoming of the fruit of the kingdom of God in our lives. The oil is the Holy Spirit on the one hand. The labor is the cooperation with it that lends itself to becoming like Him so that when that division takes place... He sees himself in us. You see? That's, that's the natural result of the labor that Father is speaking to tonight. Does that help a little bit with perhaps what... Okay. I think uh, parables like that also help us with the, the number of lines that we're talking about. You know, there's two lines. Uh, some denominations think there are one line. Um, some think there are as many lines as there are people, you know. That there are that many different realities and there's I mean if you look at the parables even the goats and the sheep you know there's 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 two lines that's it it is a it is a definitely divergent yes sir we we talked about shepherds and the importance of a good shepherd and and keeping track of the sheep and all well we've traveled to New Zealand and they claim that they have more sheep than people. <laughs> true. There's a lot of truth to that. But we also visited a sheep farm there. 
and it was really quite interesting. <coughs> we got a demonstration of how to shear the sheep, and they do it in about 30 seconds. It's, mm -hmm. it's amazing. In fact, they have contests on how quickly they can shear the sheep. Amazing. Yeah. They are really good at it. Well, also, when, when they go to the field for the, for the sheep, this shepherd had an apostle. This apostle was actually black and white and four legs. <laughs> had a sheepdog. That sheepdog was imperative for the shepherds down there because the sheep roam up into the hills, they roam far and wide, and that dog will go out there and round about. And we got a demonstration. They said, Watch this. That's dog. why we wear black. <laughs> but the dog would, would look the sheep. He said, Watch the dog. He's going to look the sheep right in the eye. And he gets their attention that way. And then he grabs them up and brings them in. It's just amazing. That's a beautiful picture. Yeah. Hound of Heaven. Hound of Heaven. Yeah, right. Absolutely. That's a lot of girls. <laughs> Are there any other questions? One part of the parables still doesn't quite make sense to me. Okay. I'm sure many, but the one that I'm aware of is the so when when the other virgins ask for the oil from the five that, that brought it, mm -hmm. and they say no, I'm not sure how that translates because um, it seems to suggest that we have the option <coughs> to essentially give our salvation to others, but that we ought not to. But that, that doesn't quite make sense to me. Yeah. Have you um, you ever had a friend that was that was kind of grow, going astray growing up? I know your mom's over there. She's eyeballing you pretty, she's eyeballing you pretty hard right now. I'll keep it clean, okay? Uh, my mother and father-in-law right there, so I'm going to keep it clean. Um, there, I don't know about you, but there, there were moments when some of my friends, uh, they could have taken me down with them by the things that they were getting into. Uh, probably easier than it was for me to pull them up. And so um, I think it's, it's just another uh, layer of trying to describe the difference between uh, foolish and, and wise. Uh, the wise uh, did not give oil because then they might not have enough so that they could uh, make it to the, to the wedding banquet. And, uh, and I think the parable is, is showing that as, as a good thing to do. Although, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of tough sometimes. Yeah. Tough love. There you go. Yeah. And they were told to be sure you have, you have enough. Yeah, you're exactly. That's good. Yeah. And I think they gave them, they gave them really good advice. Yeah. Go and buy for yourself. Yeah. yeah. They didn't leave them completely. Because, I mean, if, if they, it always seemed to me like there's the possibility that if they split the, the amount of oil between the ten that uh, maybe all ten wouldn't have made it. Yeah. Mm. Well, that is helpful. Good. Good question. All right. I would you. like to leave you with a question. Um, and it has to do with on now back to the treasure parables. While he was speaking about that and reading the <clears throat> the parables, I was thinking about something very practical that had been on it's been on Korea Debbie and I's mind for 
way too long, and we still haven't gotten to it, but like we all do, we intend to, right? Um, when he was talking about the, the treasures and where your treasure is, my mind went to our attic because we are in dire need of having a garage sale to get rid of a lot of worthless junk. Treasures. Treasures. <laughs> anyway. Um, but here's, here's one of the things I started thinking for myself, but I offer it to you too. I think one of the greatest things we can be continually doing is inspecting the attic of our souls. Where are our true treasures? The first question I have for you, just for a brief discussion on this now, but so that you can take this with you. How is it, what can we look at in our lives that would show us what our treasures really are? Think about your life, very practically. What is it about your life? When, if, what could you look at in your life that would indicate and show you what your treasure is? Give me some answers. Where do you spend your time and money? Yep. Time, money. Okay? Looking at your life, evaluating, what do I do with myself? Good. What else? The things we get angry over. <laughs> <laughs> like to shine up that anger, do you? There's a <laughs> no, you're exactly right. What else? <clears throat> What's the question again? question is, what, what do we look at in our lives? Okay. And by seeing it, we'd see where our treasure truly lies. Okay. Challenge. Yeah. Thank you. From my experience, all right, it's trying to discern the voice of God. All right? Whether it's in prayer time, whether it's in the Word of God, or hearing a sermon or a lecture. I think that is the key, all right, for myself. To discerning? To discern, to discern. Oh, That's where the treasure I perceive is. To hear the voice say, this is what it is, absolutely. And this is what we're after. How do we hear that voice and to right. inspect us? Very right. good. Very good. So we have, we have yeah, anger or other emotions detrimental. Unforgiveness, we've talked about that recently. Time, how are we spending our time? Oh, about relationships. Yeah. How, what kind of relationships we have with other people. Yeah. Both inside the church and outside the church. And the quality of them, looking at them. Very good. Yeah. Excellent. Well, one of the conversations that we've... I've had a lot with my friends recently, okay, when we have our <coughs> conversations, is exactly about the 50-50 and about with the lamp and not having enough oil and, you know, you, and being prepared. A lot of us have lived very naively, you know, throughout life. Sure. We didn't get it. We didn't understand it. There wasn't anyone who was drilling it. We went to church. We love God. We have Jesus. Follow Jesus. You get to heaven. We're, you know, we follow with grace, etc., etc. None of us are prepared. None of us are prepared. Not enough. And so it's through that seeking and the relationship. God is a lamp to our feet, yes. But it's with being prepared, praying in church. My thing when I've told mom over and over, it's that I can't have a good relationship with anyone unless I have the ultimate relationship with him, which is what Absolutely. I'm after now, Absolutely. you know, in my own life. Exactly. And so 
Sorry, I get emotional. You're fine. <laughs> talk about it's been a you are just it's been fine. A good year. <laughs> it's been a very good year. Thank God. But the thing of it is, is that um, you know, so many of them they don't want to go to church. They don't want that commitment. They just oh, God forgives me. No, you gotta. It's not that being forgiven. It's having, seeking, following, going. And one of the other conversations we recently had is all of us wanted to be, we wanted the title, we wanted the big job, we wanted the money. How much can we gain? I don't, I've had a friend die recently, and this is why we had that conversation Saturday. And they were like, why are you so happy with what you just, you know, I've told them over, I don't want the title anymore. It doesn't mean anything. I'm not going to my grave saying, oh, she worked at this job for 30 years, she was great. And they remember my job, not me. And that's not what I want. I don't want anything. I want to know that when I go to my place, that I sought the ultimate relationship because I cannot have a relationship with any of you until I have that relationship with him ultimately. Exactly. You know, so that's what I want to be known for. She sought him and she went for it. And she's going to have it and he's going to have her. <laughs> so, and that's, you know, it's, it's just for the next whatever few years that I have left in my life. It doesn't matter. All that doesn't matter anymore. Right. This matters now. And, you know, if I have to give it all away, great. Yeah, I'm okay with that. Melanie, so. thank God. And, and you're, what you're speaking to, listen, listen to this. Because with all this other stuff that's been mentioned, what she's throwing in there is one of the things that will tell us where our treasure is are what are we pursuing? What are we actively pursuing with our energies? With our goals, with our drivenness, passion, with our passion, <laughs> you know. So <clears throat> my encouragement is to take what you've heard from Father. All these good thoughts around these wonderful parables that our Lord gave. Let the Holy Spirit, <clears throat> excuse me, inspect your life. What's treasure and what's trash, and have the spiritual garage sale of repentance. Hmm? Right. You're laughing because we still haven't got to the attic. <laughs> Can't get to that attic. Father, thank you so very thank much. You. Thank God you. Bless you. Let's stand.